All right, you guys can sit down. Welcome to our first Sunday night service preview. If you didn't get a bulletin, we've got Andrew Smith, who's walking up here as an usher. He can get you one if you didn't get one. Uh, <laughs> I think they're good. Andrew just graduated from UT, so give him a hand. Unless you're not a UT fan, and then don't give him a hand. So thanks for being here, bud. Anyways, welcome. We're so glad you're here for Sunday night. And uh, like I said, it's our first preview service, and so we'll do tonight. We'll do another one. Uh, July 24th. If you have any thoughts about what goes on here and you want to share that, please feel free. Call me, email me. All my info is on our website. My name is Case. If you didn't catch that or didn't know that, please let me know your thoughts. If you're over the age of about 35, if you'll just call someone else and let them know your thoughts. I'm kidding. Um, totally kidding. So anyways, we wanted to, to do a Sunday night service to offer another opportunity for people in our community, people we weren't reaching and so, obviously, uh, if these time frames work better for you, that's great. If you like the service, that's fantastic. Uh, our goal as a Sunday night service is not to um, do something – well, we are do something different than Sunday morning, but not to take away from what we do Sunday morning. Our mission, our vision, all those things are still the same uh, as Rock Point, and we still are Rock Point. This is just another service. Uh, I'm obviously not Ron, but things will be different here. Uh, they'll look different. Obviously, teaching will be different. Music will be different, but it's all – a part of, again, Rock Point and that vision and, and uh, mission of loving God with all we are and making more and better followers of Christ. So the point of our service on Sunday night really is to reach out to our community uh, and see how we can begin to, to draw more people in that we don't attract at this point. So thank you for being here. Thank you for your thoughts, uh, support. We're so glad that you're here. Um, right now what we're going to do is just enter into a time of prayer, and uh, we're going to take communion. We'll do Sunday nights. We'll do communion. Uh, every Sunday night, so if you're here, just know that we're going to do that, but we'll pray. I won't walk us through that. If you want, you can just enter a time of prayer. I'll lead us, and you can you can finish up your prayer, and if you'd like, you can come up and take communion. There's a, a plate on each side with both juice and crackers, and you're welcome to come do that. If you don't want to, you're welcome to not do that as well, and so I'll pray. You guys can spend some time in prayer just asking God to speak to you tonight uh, as we as we walk through our time of worship, and then you can stand up and take communion. Uh, and then Chris will lead us back into some more worship. So pray with me, please. Dear God, come unite and just thank you so much for your love, your forgiveness. Um, thank you for an opportunity again to come together uh, as a family and to worship uh, as a community. We just ask that uh, you will speak to us tonight uh, in a special way. Pray that you will meet us where uh, we are tonight. and just uh, Draw us close to you. Uh, show us how we can uh, be more like you, how we can love you better, how we can love others better. Uh, again, we just thank you. So much for your love, your forgiveness, and uh, what you've done for us in your question we pray. You said you guys are free to spend a little more time in prayer, uh, asking God just to search your heart, to speak to you, and then you can come take communion if you like, and then Chris will continue us on in worship. All right, you guys can sit down. I thought he was going to pray. I'm sorry. He said we're still working out the schedule. It's actually my fault. So, uh, Anyways, open your Bible to Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 is where we're going to be tonight. As we started prepping for, for our Sunday night service and what it was going to be and what it was going to look like, Ron asked me, we're in a meeting, he said, what is your what is your mission and vision? And as leaders, that's often something that people ask you. And I sat going, I don't know, uh, tell people about Jesus on Sunday night is really what I'm shooting at. And so as I thought through that more, I just kind of developed, not really, I don't want to tack on a mission and a vision for this thing because we're still rock when it said, and that's not changed However, if I was going to share my heart with you about what I thought God wanted us to do as followers of Christ and as believers, I would say I would term it if I had to, which I'm going to do for you now. I guess I don't have to, but 
given uh, the opportunity to do so, I would say that God wants us to be in process of becoming the community of God by understanding who he is and responding to him. And I break down scripture in three basic points in light of that and say that scripture communicates clearly to us who God is, who man is, and then how we respond to him. So that being said, the next three, uh, our next three meetings tonight, uh, the end of July and then in August, we will kind of flesh out that concept of what it means to be becoming the community of God by understanding who God is and responding to him. So we'll start tonight in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 1. And Hebrews is a, is a great book that emphasizes the superiority of Christ. And the author, who we don't know who it is, there are multiple options on who it can be. Um, and, and as we progress in Sunday night, I will often go back and talk about context because context is so important when you begin to look at Scripture. And that, one of my desires of, of meeting on Sunday nights and, and as we become a community and reach people, my desire to, uh, to share about Scripture and to have people begin to understand how to use God's Word. And, and often, especially from my experience, what I've seen in churches, we do things, what I would say, incorrectly with Scripture. And we like to open up and what we'd say take out of context certain verses, things that make us feel good, or whatever it happens to be. And often we don't deal with the actual passage. And context is so important on who wrote it and who it was written to and what time frame and what is going on as to what you can draw out as spiritual truth. And so a, a, an illustration that I like to use, um, actually I'm not going to use it because I might offend somebody. I'm going to wait to offend people till later in this whole thing. Um, I have two of them that are good context illustrations, and I'll use this one instead, which is a potty illustration. I'm sorry if that offends you. But the bathroom, what is a, a concept as you get married? What is so important for the man to do, the man to do as the husband with the toilet seat? Put that joker down, right? Yeah, because people will fall in. Okay, if you don't, it's not, and it's just a mess, okay? So most of you guys know that. However, there is a situation in which the toilet seat does not need to go down. That is in a public restroom for men. Because oftentimes those toilet seats have to be used for multiple things. And guys tend to miss. Most of you know that. And so if you walk in and you put that seat down, what happens? Okay, maybe you didn't miss and maybe you were clean, but the next guy comes along and sees the toilet seat down. Is he going to lift it? No, absolutely not. Right? So you walk in, I hate it when I walk in and I look down and it's just, and you go to the next one and it's, and you're like, come on, guys. And so the context of, it's always true, guys need to put the toilet seat down except in the context of the men's restroom in a public place. Yeah? That's really not a good illustration. The other one's better. The other one is way better, but it really is offensive and so I can't use it yet. Anyways, context though. Author of Hebrews, we're not sure who wrote it. I guess the context is so important, however, there are certain times when we get the specifics that we want, and we just can't reach that point. And that's where our faith comes into play, and we begin to trust God put this thing together the way he wanted us to have it. What you have in your hands is truly what God wanted you to have, to know about him, to know about you, and how to respond. And at some points, we have to move forward with that. So there are multiple options. However, the recipients of this letter, obviously it's addressed to Hebrews, uh, believed to be, as you go through and just look at uh, the book as a whole, uh, the argument is that it's going to Jewish believers, those who were Jews who converted to Christianity, likely living in Rome at the time. 
during a time of persecution. And so the author writes to these people and he begins and says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And so he starts this out and he says to these Jewish people who are converts to Christianity, who are followers of Jesus. Is it dark in here? Can you guys not see very well? I'm really sorry if you can't. I don't know how to fix the light, so I apologize. We'll fix it next time if that's bugging you. But so he writes and says, in the past, God. And so get, to begin with, as he writes to these Jewish people, it's like he's taking them back and says, in the back, in behind. Let me take you back in your mind to the past of how God spoke to us. He begins to say that says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So we see God. Today we're, we're going to look at, through the passage of Hebrews, understanding God. We're going to try to get a fuller understanding, a bigger picture of who God is from this passage. And he begins out and says, in the past God spoke to our fathers through the prophets in many times and in various ways. The first thing I really want to soak in is that God is a communicator to man. Not only that, but God is a clear communicator to man. If we go back and look, as he says in the past, God, let me take you back. Let me take your minds back to the history of your people. In the Old Testament, for these Jewish people, the Old Testament, which would have been uh, the, the major chunk of the canon that they had at this time, he, w- he was saying, let me pull you back and let's look at how God communicated with man, with his people in the past. And he says he spoke to us through the prophets. So if we go back and just begin to walk Old Testament, which I'm going to listen to people who aren't termed prophets, but if we go all the way back to Abram or Abraham, we see God speaks clearly to Abram as he calls him out of his land and says, come and follow where I'm going to lead you because I'm going to make you a great nation. And God is very specific with him. This is what I want you to do, and this is where I want you to go. And he gets up and he goes. We go further in the story of the Old Testament and we see Abraham gets to a point where God has told him, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to do all these great things with you. I'm going to bless all men from you. And then he takes his son, Isaac, who he has at a a late age and says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac on an altar to me. If you don't know what that means, he says, I want you to take your son and I want you to tie him up, put him on an altar, and I want you to stab him and kill him and then offer him to me. Which is an odd concept, but God is clear. God was very specific. This is what I want you to do. Not only that, but when Abraham gets there with his son, ties him up, puts him on the altar, God is specific. Hey, stop. You've been obedient. I want you to stop, and I want you to go get a ram over there. He's very specific on what he wants him to do. We go further in the story, we look at Moses. I don't know if you remember the story of Moses. Moses uh, has run from Egypt and is watching sheep. And God comes and talks to him through a burning bush. And God is specific. I want you, Moses, to go to Egypt to free my people. I'm going to use you to go and talk to Pharaoh and to take my people, these people that I've chosen. And I want you to go and do this. And Moses argues argues with him, and he's very specific. This is what I want you to do. Joshua is is the man who follows Moses, and we see Joshua has... Uh, an encounter with an angel who's very specific from God, or actually not an angel, but Ron would call it typology, uh, an appearance of Christ before your New Testament. And he's very specific. <laughs> Rob's laughing. He's very specific. We make fun of Ron all the time for that. He does this typology. This is it right here. That's the motion. It's a typology. Whatever. It's funny. It really is. It's funny if you're on staff here. 
Unbelievable. Anyway, so very specific. We get. Uh, I have a few more to list, but um, let's go with Isaiah. The, the two I want to focus in on Isaiah because at this point, the, the author is addressing again Christ and the superiority of Christ, and that's his theme throughout the book of Hebrews. And as he starts out, he lists the superiority of Christ over the prophets. If we go to Isaiah six again, just keep in mind this idea that God speaks clearly. God's very clear when he speaks to us, when he has something specific in mind. Um, if you look at Isaiah 6, verse 1, if you can't put that, that's okay, I'll just read it. In the year of King Uzziah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his throne filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then, the, then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken uh, with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt has been taken away, and your sin atoned. I heard of the voice of the Lord, uh, heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah's encounter, his vision in the throne room of God is very specific. That God is calling him to work for him. And there's some other things going on theologically in, in Isaiah recognizing his brokenness and God bringing out restoration. But God is specific with him. Who am I going to send? I'm here. Send me. It's a clear conversation. If we go to uh, if we go to Daniel, these are the two that I, that I want to mention. If we go to Daniel, Daniel's reading in in chapter nine of Daniel. He's been reading from the book of Jeremiah, which is is very interesting. Obviously, he's looking for God to reveal His plan with man through Scripture. And as Daniel reads this, Daniel is uh, if you don't know the history of Daniel, Daniel's a man set in the time of the exile in Babylon, uh, and of all the nation would be, I mean, if you were looking for a godly man during this time, it would be Daniel. Uh, and so in this in this chapter, it says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, Xerxes excuse me, who was made ruler over Babylon, the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel, again, much like Isaiah in this revelation from God, his is different, obviously. He's not seeing a vision at this point, but he's reading from Jeremiah, and he's recognizing from Scripture, God is God, and we are broken. And with that recognition, he turns and begins to plead with God. He begins to repent for himself, for his people. And upon doing that, it goes through his whole prayer of repentance. And if we go and we look all the way to verse 21 of chapter 9, it says, While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen earlier, uh, in a vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He, uh, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. As Daniel reads the book of Jeremiah, he's hearing words from a prophet that were given to God as God spoke to man through Jeremiah. And later on, as Daniel is living out what God had said through Jeremiah, this is what's going to happen with your nation. As Daniel is living this out, 
He reads, begins to repent of his brokenness. And then he has Gabriel show up, who is sent by God. And it's, it's a very interesting conversation because he says, on the onset of your prayer, God responded to you. And God, and God is clear with Daniel. It's not clear for us. And, and Daniel is very confusing. And this is in the apocalyptic part. It's highly symbolic and hard to understand. However, what's very interesting is Daniel responds to God. And Gabriel says, merely because you began to speak, it's not the words you spoke, it's not what you thought, it's not that you had everything right, but the mere fact that you began to speak to God about it merited a response. And God responded clearly with Daniel. The whole point is that God clearly communicates with us. If God wants you to know something, if God wants you to do something, God is going to let you know about it. We can rest assured in understanding who God is, we don't have to be scared, nervous. Am I going to miss the boat? Am I not doing what God wants me to do? If you're not doing what God wants you to do, you'll be clear. You'll clearly know that you're not doing it. Because God will be specific in his calling. And so as we begin to understand more of God, one piece of that today is understanding that God is a clear communicator with man. So it says that he spoke through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe or the eternities or uh, the age. And so as we begin to, to look further into who God is, the author says God spoke to the prophets. But now in these last days, God has spoken to us, not through the prophets, but through Christ. And so we see this idea of the superiority of Christ. Over the prophets. Not that he's taking away from their message or uh, diluting or making it uh, invalid, but rather Christ is bringing a fuller concept of what God is doing with man as, as we kind of shift from Old Testament into New Testament into New Testament church. So he says, the last days God spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. And so, yes, God is still clearly speaking at this point, saying God spoke to us through Christ. And we'll discuss more of that message in a second. But he also begins to flesh out who Christ is. Not only does Jesus just show up and live roughly 30 plus years and then die on a cross. But the author of Hebrews begins to, to unfold a little more and peel more layers back and say, he's spoken through his son who he appointed heir of all things. Not only that, not only has he been appointed heir of all things, but through whom he made all things. Through whom God made existence was Christ. Again, we're elevating the superiority of Christ. It's not just a man that showed up. Jesus isn't just a guy that showed up and taught some cool things and was a nice dude and walked around with some sandals and could have been a good surfer had he lived in California rather than where he was from. That was funny, wasn't it? Thanks, Steve. I appreciate you, bud. But it says, appointed heir of all things, and God made existence through him. And so as we begin to understand more of who God is, we're understanding that Jesus is a part of, intimately connected with God's existence from the beginning. As we continue on in verse 3, it says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being. I really like this passage because 
we'll go through and, and study what are the you know the attributes of God or the characteristics of God. If we look at Hebrews 1, the author says, if you want to know what God looks like, what God thinks, look at Jesus. Jesus is very basic. Jesus was very basic in the things he wanted to communicate. Bottom line was, love God and love people. It's very simple. And the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. He's the irradiance of God's glory in the exact representation. So if we want to know, if we want to understand, we look at who Jesus is. And that gives us our understanding of God. That gives us who God is. And he goes on and says, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things. As the author of Hebrews goes on, he says, Christ is the creator and the sustainer of existence. Not only does God make everything through him, but he's giving him everything, and he is sustaining existence. Which for us, as, as followers of Christ, and during this time, these guys were here, Jewish Christians, uh, who, one, are living at a time when likely uh, people are turning away from Christianity. Uh, and, and part of this book is about, hey, let me elevate the superiority of Christ. Not only that, but I really want to emphasize you not turning away from Jesus. And as he's, as he's fleshing that out, he's giving encouragement. Christ is not only the creator, but the sustainer of life, which is an encouragement for us. Christianity, once you get to a point recognizing who God is and that you're broken, that you need redemption, once you get to that point and make a decision, I'm going to put my faith in Christ and begin to follow, life does not all come together. The message of Christ is not this promise of success in life, in money, in family, and my kids are going to grow up healthy, and they're going to be fantastic, and I'm going to be a great parent, and we're going to love each other just because it's all going to work out, and I'm going to have a ton of money and be able to do whatever I want, and life is going to be happy. That's not what we get from Jesus. We are still going to face difficulties in life. We're going to face the loss of jobs. We're going to face the loss of family members. I mean, that is, that's reality that we are living in right now as a church community. And most of us have experienced on probably some level. That's just a part, that's a part of life. And it's not a fun part of life, but at the same time, the more we understand about God, and as we walk through situations that are difficult, the more we can come back to this idea that Christ is the sustainer of life, and God truly has things in control. That we may not understand, that we may not like, that may not make us feel good, However, we can always, rest assured, we can always walk back to the fact that Christ is a sustainer. And God is doing what he wants. Again, that might not make us feel good, but at the same time, in my own life, as as our family has gone through issues, that truly has been a a pillar of assurance. And and not an answer, but of hope uh, and of peace in in what, what takes place in life. So as we see that, he's the sustainer of life. He's the creator, the sustainer of life by his powerful word. After 
He had provided the purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And again, elevating this idea that Christ is superior. Christ is at the right hand of the throne, which in this culture, in this setting, is the place of authority. Not only is is God a clear communicator, not only is God creator and sustainer, but he says God is the restorer of man. In the, the whole book, the entire Bible teaches us those three basic concepts. And the second concept of who is man is a clear communication that we are broke. Regardless of what our culture says in, in Oprah's, uh, hey, we're all good and it's all going to work out. You just need to love each other. Let's go. Let's, you know, it's great. Let's all hug, cry, love. Well. I'm an Oprah fan. Huge. Watch her every No, I'm not. Boo. Um, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Again, this idea that, that Christ is superior uh, and, and he's enthroned. Um, anyways, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. I apologize. Move on. So, uh, not only is he creator, sustainer, not only is he clear communicator, but he also is the restorer of man. Like I said, we're broken. Regardless of what people around us say, regardless of how we feel about things, we, Ryan and I watched uh, the, the Pat Tillman story a, a couple months ago, maybe, or maybe six weeks ago. And as I was watching the story, if you don't know who Pat Tillman is, he was a soldier uh, in the Army, and this isn't a sports reference. He was a football player that left football, and, and he went and served uh, his country as uh, as an army guy, and went to the to the war uh, in Afghanistan. And while he was there, uh, it, the whole thing is a biography about what happened to this guy, and he actually was killed in war. But watching the biography in just this man's life, you had a guy who was, I mean, all American, you know, totally jacked, really attractive guy, a family guy. The the woman he married was a girl he dated through high school, and then in college they went their separate ways. Not they still dated, but they were in two. Two opposite ends, and, and he was playing football uh, in Arizona, and you know, top athlete was drafted and went and played for the Cardinals. Um, but this guy makes it dating the same girl all through high school, all through college, and then marries this girl. And not only that, but in the interviews and conversations, you can tell that the the relationship that he had with this woman, not only with the woman, but with his brothers and with his mom and dad, was was amazing. I mean, this guy was a family man. He was a country man. Uh, he, like I said, he was, he was very healthy, very in shape, very successful. I mean, the epitome of the um, the all-American guy, you could put this guy there. Not only that, but he takes all success and he tosses it and says, yeah, I'll go fight for my country. I'm all over that. I mean, honor the whole deal. This guy is the full package of what we would say. If, if I were to, to take a picture and go, this is what my, what my son to look like, here we go. Partially because I like football, but just because of what the, the characteristics of this man displayed. And they showed a clip from his funeral, and as they were getting up and sharing, his brother got up, and someone had had just gotten off the stage and said, "You know, Pat's in a better place," and you know, done kind of the basic funeral spiel. And his brother gets up and he says, "Man, I appreciate you sharing your words. Pat's not in a better place. Pat's dead." And he shares that Pat didn't believe in God and was an atheist. However, they also shared about Pat's um, compassion for other people and his acceptance of, of other people. Um, it was just very interesting. But as I watched this story, 
I struggled and began to really wrestle with this idea of here. I mean, here I'm looking at a picture. I'm watching a movie of a man watching a biography of someone that I would say, I would want my son to be like this guy. And at the same time, knowing theologically what God's word says is that Pat wasn't a good guy. Pat was just like us and Pat was broken. And regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I like, regardless of what I'm comfortable with, I have to come back to Scripture to find truth, to find truth about God and about me, that I'm not good, that I need restoration. And God's Word says that comes through Christ, through no one else but through Christ. Not only that, as we as we just look at this passage and, and walk through, it's, it's very interesting um, as I studied and just looked at different forms of, of words and how things were written. And what you would expect in a passage like this as you walk through is a, is a verb form, especially in dealing with, um, uh, what are the words? Uh, providing, um, provi- and I think made maybe the ones that I was, I was looking at. There are a couple words in there that I anticipated being a verb form that communicates an idea of a past action that has present implications, basically. I mean, it's kind of a full, here, let me, let me dump it on you. Because this happened, but yet it's going to go on forever, the implication of this event. Which was something that I really anticipated as I, as I read this. However, throughout this beginning of this passage, all these verb forms are very basic. And they're basic snapshots of, here's a past action, Here's a past action. Dealing with a major theological concept. The, the writer of Hebrews is writing it in, in building a case and arguing for and trying to support this people group. Giving them a, a strong doctrinal theological position not to revert back to Judaism, but to continue to press on in following Christ and the way they're worshiping and aligning themselves with Jesus. I mean, he's, he's building a deep, theological message. However, he's using basic snapshot verb forms. And I'm going to make a grammar point that isn't correct to do, but I'm going to do it anyways because I really like this concept. The simplicity of the gospel is pulled out when that happens. As I read through and saw that the simplicity of the message of Christ for man is in the midst of the complexity of Scripture of what this author is doing. Because Scripture is a very complex. You can spend your lifetime studying multiple languages and all these different things trying to gather information and understanding God, and you will never reach a full knowledge of what is happening here until you see Jesus. As Paul said, Paul said, what I know, what I prophesy, what I say is all in part. I see dimly as I would in a mirror, in a reflection but yet when I see Christ, I'll, I will fully understand the way God fully understands me. And so we know that we're not going to be able to fully understand. However, it's very encouraging and exciting. The simplicity of the message of Christ is found inside that complexity. Again, these little snapshots. God spoke. God spoke. God made. God redeemed. Simplicity. Man is broken. God has made a way for us to know him. 
Jesus is God. It's not Buddha. Uh, it's not whoever else you are following. Not any other world religion that there is. Not yourself. But Jesus is the exact representation of God. And we are broken. And that simplicity is Christ died for us so that we could know him. And not only does God clearly communicate, not only did God create and sustain, God is, Christ is the redeemer of man. And the author is writing to encourage, continue to hold on to this, to continue to push forward in this path, continue to follow Jesus, not reverting back because of persecution and whatever you're experiencing. He goes on and, and discusses the superiority of Christ in verse 4. He says, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And then he will go through uh, for the next nine verses and reference Old Testament references uh, as he begins to, not only did he, did he reference and explain and discuss the superiority over the prophets, he then goes into the superiority over the angels. And then he gets into chapter 2, and in verse 1 he says, and, and we will wrap up, he says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Again, he's writing to, to, to pull them back and to keep them from apostasy and to encourage them. Continue to follow Christ because of his superiority. Because this is how God is now dealing with man. As he moves through, God spoke through the prophets in the way that he used to deal with us in the sacrificial system. But now in these last days, God is working with man differently. God is redeeming. God is restoring through the person of Jesus Christ, who is the exact representation. And again, the simplicity of the gospel is so encouraging inside a complex book that we just need to recognize the fact that God's God and we're broken. And our restoration comes through trusting in Him, through believing and trusting in Christ because of His superiority and what God has done with Him. I'm going to pray. Uh, Chris is actually going to come up and, and lead us in, in one more song, uh, and then we will dismiss. So, dear God, thank you for tonight. Again, thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship you, uh, to study your word. Thank you for what you've done um, for each one of us, God, for dying for us uh, so that we could know you, for making a way uh, for us to find redemption. I pray that as we go out this week, uh, Lord, that you will uh, give us opportunities to love other people. Uh, and to love you. Please help us to recognize those chances and uh, to begin to be used by you or to continue to be used by you. Uh, again, thank you for your love, your forgiveness, and all you've done. The first time we pray, amen.